and welcome to the Robot Dice Explosion podcast, episode one. I'm Ben. And I'm Ollie. And today we're going to talk about two topics, I suppose. Salute being the first one and Moonstone being the second. So we both went to a salute, which I suppose if people don't know what salute is, it's the largest wargaming show in the UK. Yes. And it does focus mostly on miniatures rather than... uh, Because we've got the UK Games Expo for board games and card games and such. Yeah, it's the largest miniature game expo of the type. Yeah, and it's... I don't know much about the American um, shows like Adepticon and uh, so on, but it's it's sort of half traders and half demonstration or participation games. Yes. Pretty much a half and half. Maybe more traders slightly. It's definitely tilted toward traders, but you also have... Various clubs turning up yep. and doing demo games and people demoing new games and things like that. Yeah, and a lot of the traders will have, obviously, a corresponding demo table. Yes. So that's held every year. Uh, it's a one-day event in London at the Excel Arena, uh, which is a pretty good venue. I've been there before for um, Olympic women's boxing uh, semi-finals. Um, so it's a pretty... Yeah, it's it, a slightly it, random thing to yeah, go to. Yeah, I, I know. Someone bought me tickets. Um, it's oh. pretty cool, actually. Anyway, so yeah, we, we both went to Salute. I mean, I don't know. I think it must have been my sixth Salute, something like that. I've been there um, twice, working for you. Yes. <laughs> so, well, this is it. Uh, this was my second year uh, there as a trader uh, with Mastercraft Miniatures. Before that, I had been, you know, just attending, looking for stuff to buy, looking Sort of looking for deals, but just looking for nice miniatures um, when when nice miniatures were not just everywhere all the time. So the looking for deals thing is interesting because I don't think there's that many deals at Salute. Certainly not these days. I think fewer these days. It used to be, and it's not too long ago, maybe like you know, sort of three, four years. It sort of turned into you walk in the main doors and... You don't get very far before you would hit like the troll trader stand, which would have just a load of stuff that they're just trying to clear lines. They're just trying to clear back stock, and so you could do, get do stuff do, cheap. Do you were doing that this year as well? Oh, okay. What was the? Do you have something on six sixty percent off? Oh, I don't know. I, ne- I never made it over there. It was right next door. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute, actually, because that's um, that's relevant to a later topic. But um, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know. I, for me, it was just like they're retailing stuff which I'm already aware of, so I'm not going to bother. That's probably yeah. m- my thought process. But I felt like when it became that walk straight in, just hoard around the uh, the deal section immediately, I felt that was really sort of negative for the show because it meant that people weren't walking around a bunch of other stuff and seeing what was there. Everyone was just like, oh, let's just get the deals. Mm. And I, I guess my by placing them down the other end of the hall, pretty much the far end where I was, means that Everyone, if they want to do that, it's fine, but they're walking past the smaller guys on the way there. Yes. Or at least the medium-sized guys who get the main aisle. It also yeah. sort of stops the, the slightly unfortunate thing of lots of people having lots of big bags immediately. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, which, which no, can no be one a likes problem. to spend six hours at a show carrying around uh, the stuff that they bought in the first 15 minutes. No. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll talk slightly about... The, the experience as a as a trader. It's my second year doing it. Last year, I'd been meaning to do it for a while, and finally, you know, booked myself in as a trader and prepared. Perhaps not 
as well as I could have done. Everything was a bit last minute. Yeah, there was there was some when we turned up on the morning of it last <clears> year. There was still some things to do. That's because I pretty much missed the window on the Friday for setup, and so it all had to be done on the Saturday yeah. morning. Worked better this year with my very uh, understanding and patient wife um, doing the you know half the work with me. So yeah, I, I, I guess compared to last year. It felt a little quieter as uh, for me uh, last year. Within about, it took about fifteen minutes for people to filter down to where I was because um, yes. I was in the same place last year. And then the store just sort of was rammed last year. Whereas this year, it was probably more like half an hour. I saw, certainly saw people before this, but more like half an hour before I sold anything, which which had me a little bit concerned initially. But in the end, mm. in the end, it was pretty much as far as like money goes. It was about the same as last year. So that that was pretty cool. I guess with Salute, you know, I'm not going to be turning over as much as, as many people who have stands the same size as me. But it's... Yours is a little more specialised, maybe? I guess. And also not that established. You know, I... Yeah. You know, I, I think I hit a thousand likes on Facebook sometime last year, which I don't know how much that matters. But as a metric, you know, it gives you an idea, like, pretty small. Yeah. Um, and I definitely had some customers this year who hadn't heard of me and were um, were delighted to stumble upon me. So that that, that but, was nice. But that seems to be to me, just looking sort of semi outside from the main benefit of actually going is that people can walk past yes. and see what you do without uh, because otherwise finding s- small traders can be a little bit hit and miss. Yeah, and I think it's the only show I do uh, so far. Well, only show I have done. It's it's not cheap. I mean, it's it's one of the more expensive ones to do, but I figure it's the biggest one. Um, London is a good location for me. You know, Birmingham's a bit of a trek from the south coast. Birmingham would require a lot of work, I think, to get done. Yeah, and I, I can't. I probably couldn't turn it around in the same uh, time period um, because I still, you know, I, I have to rent a van. I have to yeah, rent it a, would incur additional room. costs. Yeah, and I'd probably have to have an extra night with the hotel and an extra uh, day with a van. So, you know, it makes it a little bit more expensive to go to other ones, but then you're paying far less usually for the uh, for the stand. But yeah, it serves as advertisement, I guess. But also, uh, I get to see a bunch of people that I only see once a year at Salute. Yeah. You guys who are in the industry or just... Seems to be the other benefit is that you can, yeah. you can go and network a bit. Yeah, and I, I also get to see people who aren't necessarily in the industry but i've known them from the club years back and they've moved away and then like they come yeah. by the stall and and catch up so obviously you um were helping me out as well yeah. as uh liz and graham and yeah. my wife who was is considerably more pregnant than she was last year so uh, i i decided yes. to add graham to the team um after uh, having the same people help me out last year uh, i think you will have noticed that you guys did a lot of the selling and I did a lot of the talking to people. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, that's sort of the point? I think to a certain extent. And people want to know a little bit more about the process and, you know, want to tell me things that they'd like to see me produce. And um... I mean, you do... Some of the things you do is actually seems to me, having looked around, fairly unique, like the animals. Yeah. Small animals, which <laughs> I don't... Which is also one of the most requested things, actually. Yes. People turn up and go, I have some of those, and then when you inevitably sold out halfway through the day, <laughs> they'll ask about different ones. Yeah, no. yes, people people definitely requested a bunch of uh, a bunch of new animals, so I'll be working on that. I think 
the minions uh, had a pretty good day as well. I'm, I'm glad you guys did because I, I was conscious at one point that I might be sort of preventing you enjoying the rest of Salute. I know that you're sentient human beings with free will and I wasn't forcing <laughs> you to stay. Like, we want we want chained to the stand or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But it was interesting because, of course, Graham, it was his first experience of Salute and he was remarkably restrained, but I think he's hit something like 21 or... Maybe maybe it's only twelve backed Kickstarters uh, recently, and so his credit he, card was already. In, he in has gone a little bit into the deep end on that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas I have basically stopped looking at Kickstarter. I try. I, I, try I to. got my last outstanding Kickstarter delivered yesterday, which was BattleTech. Uh, I have no more outstanding, and I haven't looked in ages. I got a couple outstanding, but uh... because I'm, I'm just not sure it's worth it. But that's. Yeah. Topic for a completely different day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, that's a rabbit hole. But definitely, uh, we will talk about that more at some point. Um, the only last thing to add as as a trader is for me it was a little bit weird because I um I wasn't on the website and I wasn't in the program. Yeah, that was awkward. Um, which was a little frustrating. Someone said uh, that maybe last year I also wasn't in the program. I don't really remember that. I don't know how much that really affects it. If I were Steamforged or someone, yeah, and I'm not in in the book. Then that might affect them because people want to know where they are. Yeah, but it's not that hard to find things really if they've got big banners. Yeah, um, I know that having the balloons worked pretty well for me this year. Yeah, I like I like the balloons. The, Work, worked the for balloon. about half the hall away. I think you can you can just about see them Did, most of the time. So yeah, I mean some of the taller stands would block the mess <clears> on your ankle, but yes. the, the the yellow and black balloons were. were Pretty noticeable. Yeah, I'll be doing that next year. Anyway, so yeah, I was positioned next to uh, Troll Trader, like you said, and one of the games that they were sort of hosting, I guess. Yeah, I never quite worked out what the relationship between the people doing it and them was. Yeah, it may just have been that they found an agreement to like, well, you can have this much space on our stand, and if you get a demo table nearby, you know. But uh, that was Moonstone. Yes, which I think you and uh, Paul, who's the uh, the president of uh, Sun and Gamers Club, our local club. Yeah, we we jumped in and got the first demo of the day, basically. Yeah. Um, as soon as the show opened, we were since we were standing there anyway. We were like, "Can we have a demo of this?" Yeah, and you you guys seem to enjoy. It. Well, obviously you enjoyed it because well, uh, the second it was three over. Of, three of us bought starter sets and yes. a bunch of additional miniatures. I think between the three of us, we now own everything to do. Yeah. So, yeah, we liked it. Cool. Well, we're going to come back to Moonstone. Okay. I think we'll talk about uh, the other stuff that we saw. Other things first, yeah. So, yeah, you had a little bit more time walking around than me, I think. Yes, I did. What sort of stuff did you see other than Moonstone? So, I actually, one one of the more interesting things I saw was actually, I think it was Warwick University? Oh yeah, no, you showed me that. Who had a, a stand advertising some of their history masters? I think it was. Yeah, history degrees with was it Warwick University? I right? think so. Yeah, I can't remember this. I th- I'm pretty sure it was. Sounds right. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it was like masters and postdocs and things yeah. like that. I don't think it was, it was because they had very specific things, but they were obviously tailored to the market they were in because there were things yeah. like Germany in the 1930s or. Well, think, I mean, American studies relating to some conflict or another and, and yeah. things like that, which I thought was very interesting and not something I'd seen last year. Oh, it was a really interesting um, 
I don't know, approach to marketing, I guess, um, or recruitment. And I suppose Salute has its roots, obviously South London warlords, but I, it, it always has a, a historical, historical theme. Yes. Although I say that last year was steampunk, was it? So I, I might have just absolutely talked out of my ass there. But no, it, I, I think that there is. There's definitely a large historical presence there. Yeah. Oh, there's always definitely a presence. Um, I mean, you also had a what was it, a Mark One tank? Yes. Yeah. In the hall, in the hall, which was, was quite cool. Yeah. Um, um, and and I don't know if you saw that he had some actors as well. Oh, did they? Yeah, uh, people in uniform and hanging around around the tank for at least part of the day, explaining things. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they were there when I walked around, but I was very much like grabbing the, the, the small amount of time I could. Yeah. Obviously, you and I walked around, but then I walked around a little bit on my own as well, um, just to have a look around. Yeah, no, I just I just thought it was interesting, and I wonder if that is something we're going to see more of. I think it's a really cool idea because it's like, well, hey, you guys like this, like you know, whatever period of history that you're, the, the, that you're the, playing the games topic in. in general. Yeah, there's going to be history interested people here. Yeah, and we'll market to you, and so. and, and studying it can be re- really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought mean, that was be fun just in in of itself. Yeah, if if I were to do more degrees, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I've, I've ve- done quite enough, thank you. Various. Well, I like studying, but finding the money to do extra degrees just for fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's not really happening at the moment. Um, but yeah, history degrees would be fun. Hmm. What what else caught your eye in terms of I don't know miniatures or big big three D printed battle mix. Oh yeah, you said about this with um about foot tall, something like that. Mm-hmm. I only saw them while I was walking past because it was a participation game, I think. I didn't even catch who was doing it. But, right, okay. But he had two I think he had four foot tall three D printed battle mechs. Which looked really cool in that scale. I mean that's yeah, I bet. It's obviously the scale they really in I mean didn't that's not the scale they meant for because that has never been the case. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's not a scale that's going to work anywhere other than a convention. Or an no, expo. and I mean, they were, <clears throat> in terms of actual gameplay, they were much too big for the table they were on because uh, they were just, like, it was a 6 by 4 table. Okay. And it turns out if you deploy multiple Titan-scaled models on that, it looks really cool, but I'm not sure there's a lot of tactical gameplay in it. Yeah. But, I mean, having a bunch of them would be fun if you have a football field to play on. Hmm. I mean, it sort of reminds, not reminds me, but maybe evokes like that feeling for me of, you know, the, uh, was it Titan Legions uh, or Adeptus Titanicus? I can't remember. The box which had the two Mega Gargants and the Imperator Titan in it. Yeah. You had this big card with loads of tokens on it, which you inevitably knocked off at some point. But yes. It was all about managing systems. And that was really cool. You, you, things weren't very maneuverable or anything, but it was interesting to be like, oh, I need to reroute power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Effectively. It's sort of. Not quite similar to Battletech, but pretty yeah. close. It's just that, yeah. You, you said it caught Paul's eye as well, but did uh, did he play a demo of it? No, no, just... he just talked to them about oh, okay. where the models were from. Um, so I think he wants some. But... I'm sure he does, yeah. Can't be a surprise. <laughs> um, got quite a collection of everything already. Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't see that when I walked around. But he like might not I have say, been doing it. Yeah, I didn't... Uh, I definitely missed a bunch of things as I, as I walked around. I'm trying to think what I did see that caught my eye. I mean, I, I tried to talk to uh, Alan from White Dragon Miniatures, who I've known for quite a while now. We, when we were both learning how to cast in resin, we used to frequent a website called Resin Addict, 
that the forum's now shut down. But uh, he he's done a bunch of spaceships. Well, that's our guest today, Alexa. <laughs> that was a very timely interruption yeah. of random things. Interesting. See if that makes the cut. Um, so anyway, yeah, Alan uh, Alan does uh, or has done a lot of fifteen mil uh, mechs and infantry in the past. Which yeah. I've shown you before. Yeah. Um, he did some spaceships as well, which. Uh, is still uh, sort of yet to be fulfilled Kickstarter, which is fine. That's you know there have been challenges uh, that have sort of slowed him down on that. But he f- knew this year, I think, um, certainly knew this year at Salute for him were uh, some twenty eight mil, like mostly single piece. I think uh, resin contemporary British military. Yes, yes, which were really nice. They were very nice. I don't have anything to use them for at the moment. No, I didn't pick any up. I mean, it did occur to me I could use them for maybe like The Walking Dead or something, but I've already got some hassle-free guys for that. And also, it's not set in England, so... I mean, not that... Not that it would matter, but... I mean, or you could, like, change it and go like, oh, we're changing these things. And well, I think it's safe to, safe to assume that if, if uh, America collapses through a zombie apocalypse that uh, other countries might send some military in. So you could probably yeah. craft a narrative around it there. So maybe I will, but they're not working on a game system or anything at the moment. But no. it's just some uh, some really nice miniatures. And, and Alan's uh, an ex-soldier himself. I think he was infantry. So um, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to kit. Yeah, And of course, you know, actual poses that soldiers would adopt yes through military doctrine rather than you know, yeah. what, what you might get from I mean, your uh you know your sort of science fiction games which are more like uh flamboyant poses perhaps depending um, on the game but yes yeah yeah um so that was cool to see um i didn't pick any up i might do in the future well it's i mean buying miniatures not associated with games is not a problem per se but they seem to sell slower than miniatures associated with specific games that's definitely my experience as well because I, I stock a few miniatures that aren't associated with the game on my website and i had them at the store and you know i sold a couple but unless it's got a very obvious use in another game and usually that other game will be 40k or something yeah where then then they don't tend to sell that well unless it's for the painters but uh what else what else i picked up some paints from Green Stuff World because around about half four, as the show was wrapping up, I uh, I felt weird that I hadn't bought anything all day. It would have been the first salute where I hadn't bought anything. So um, you, were, you, you were given strict instructions by your <laughs> wife to go and buy something. Yeah, I was ushered out to go and just buy something and shut me up. And I, I hadn't actually realised that just a couple of stores down from me were Green Stuff World. And I mm. had my eye on their uh, colour shift metallics for a while. I don't suppose you've had a chance to use them yet. I've got a bunch of plastic spoons upstairs that I have airbrushed with them, so I'll show you them after after this. What What are your impression of them? Some of them are really effective. One of them, which is the one which is gold tending to green, I don't think is very effective. It's just a sort of mediocre gold, really. Gold have always been <clears throat> a tricky colour, I find. Yeah, and this is it's not really a good gold, whereas the other ones are all pretty effective. You'll see that they shift from... Um, from one colour to the other. Uh, this is on spoons, though, so it'll be interesting to see how it comes out in a miniature. Yeah, but I, I would imagine it would depend on the miniature you pick. Like, you would be hmm. more suited for certain things. I noticed that you had a bunch of Elder Vehicles as showcases. Yeah, they had a really nice Elder Viper. Yeah, because, of course, you get the, the big curved surfaces yeah. on those, which will showcase it really well. 
whereas other ranges <clears> maybe <throat> not so much. But you should pick your paint based on what you're painting anyway. Yeah, and I think as with any new paint, you have to you have to try it out a little bit, figure out how you, how best to use it. Yeah. Um, I've seen people paint this paint on with a brush, which from the photos and the videos I've seen, I don't think it um, really gets the surface finish you want. You still see the colour shifting effect. Yeah, but it's not smooth enough. Yeah, yeah, and that, 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 that would concern me. But I mean, I'm, I, I'm putting it through the airbrush yeah. and it, it comes out just fine. Um, How does thinning it work? Is I would imagine you just thin it the same as anything else. Yeah, I was else. just wondering if, because if you have to be careful about getting it too thin and then it just doesn't work anymore. I mean, yeah, you'll eventually hit the point where it just sort of pulls um, and runs, but that's the same with any um, anything yeah. through the airbrush. Yeah. Um, I So it says that you're meant to use uh, multiple thin coats, yeah. not just a big thick coat, and I think that generally applies to um, airbrush paints anyway, but maybe Plus more to most, these. most painting, to be honest. Some of the pre-release reviews I saw of these paints said that it took a lot of coats for the effect to show up. For me, it was almost instant. Um, you know, the first coat, you'd be like, oh, th that's definitely metallic. Yeah. And then the next coat, you'd be like, oh, I'm starting to see the colour shift. Effect. Yeah. And I was doing three coats. Two would probably be fine. It, it depends whether you want it bright or you want, still want some of that black in there. And I think yeah. the Elder Viper still had some black in there, yeah, which looked quite possibly. nice. I suppose it, would all, it could also depend on how strong a colour shift you want. Yeah. So in that sense, having it take more than one coat is not actually... A bad thing. Well, no, it could actually, be a actually gives you more control. Yeah, you are meant to put it over a black base, preferably a black gloss base. I've seen it put over coloured base as well, which means you tend to see a little bit of that colour coming through. Um, the lighter the colour gets, the less the uh, colour shift works. Or the, the less the actual colour of the colour shift works, like the base colour of it. Okay. The best way to describe it is if you put it over white, you can see the pearlescent effect. Yeah. But if it's a purple that will tend to green, like colour shift to green, yeah. you won't really see the purple. You might just see a little bit of a, a slightly green pearlescence, but that's about it. That could be an interesting effect, Again, though. Again, probably has its uses, but it's most striking over a black gloss okay. base. And the miniatures I'm going to use it for, I've got a couple of... Oh, God, I can't remember. They're basically Shisa dogs for Rotha Kings. So they've got scales on them. So it'd be interesting to see how scales work because yeah. it's not a large curved surface, but it might actually be quite effective because of the sudden changes in the angle of the surface. Yeah, that could, that could totally work. And obviously, I'll have to find out how well it works with uh, shading with uh, you know, inks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mind immediately went to either Eldar because I used to play Eldar, yeah, or Cold Ones because I used to oh, play yeah. Dark Elves. Yeah, I've seen a um, someone use it on an Oni for uh, Bushido. That could be really interesting. Because, you know, I guess they're sort of otherworldly, and they use this red colour shift. They brushed it on, so again, I don't think the colour shift was quite as noticeable as it might be if you airbrushed but it. But you don't necessarily, on those, you don't, wouldn't necessarily want it to be massively strong. You just want sort of a hint of it? Yeah. Potentially? Well, I mean, they gave it a good coat. It was definitely metallic that you could see. But uh, be interesting to see. I, I mean, I bought colour set two. And having tested all of the bottles, I realised that I actually need the gold that shifts to red, which is in colour set one, which was out of stock. So I'll be ordering that, yeah. which is fine. I mean, uh, I think there's a couple of stockists in the UK now, or at least one, Warball Games up in Bromley. Yeah, but it was out of stock, so you couldn't have gotten it anyway. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if I'd gone over there earlier in the day, realising where they were, 
But, yeah. but as a um, as an exhibitor, you don't get a program. Um, so I should probably have like, yeah. bugged one of you. But even then, well, it's quite hard to browse I'd, for. Well, we we basically looked in Paul's because he was not there as a as staff. Yeah. Um, of course, yeah, because I had you in at start. Yeah. You didn't get one either. No, no, we yeah. did not. No. So <laughs> that, <laughs> that wouldn't have helped. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was also where we we found them. This this was this deserves a little shout out, I think, just because the name is amusing. Flag dude, flag dude. <laughs> Wait, who, what, who, what does he do? He does what the name says. He did some really lovely flags, like Napoleonic and American Civil War and stuff. Okay. They look really nice. I feel like I've actually heard his name before. I mean, it, what are the flags made from? I don't know. We just walked past to see does he actually just do flags? And yes, he just do flags. But well, it's nice to see the descriptive name. Well, exactly. But <laughs> they were they looked really impressive. Yeah. I didn't see prices or anything, but yeah. if you're looking for that kind of flax, that would seem like a really good solution. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I... Uh, I might have a look, but I don't have any uses for them, but uh, well, it'd be was, interesting to see. That was why we didn't stay for that long. We yeah. just were like, Does it, is, is it just flax? Yeah. I'm trying to think if I saw anything else of note outside of the usual. You know, I, I walked around uh, said hello to Ed, who was demoing Guild Ball, but uh, I had a li- little look at God Tier. Which honestly isn't interesting me much. I get why people are interested, but I, yeah. I just sort of I'm, I'm I'm not that moved. I think I'm probably trying not to get too interested in things at the moment. I've, I've got enough going on. Yeah, I don't really. I, want we, to. I don't think either of us need more games. Uh, Says uh, the man who bought Moonstone. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to buy anything. Um, um, I mean, I'll try it out if someone brings it down at the club. Oh, I'll definitely give it a go. Um, I mean, both of us are fascinated by mechanics, so yeah. it makes sense for us to um, to try it out. And Ed is one of the guys up at um, Dark Worlds Gaming in Fairham, um, just down the road from me, actually. And he's he was one of the uh, the alpha play testers. Yes. Um, and there's another guy, Tom, who he's down in Southampton, but he comes to Dark Worlds as well. So I might get one of them to sort of show me through it now that the rules have... Stabilised. Yes. Yes, because I know it was changing quite frequently before. It's an interesting idea, but I don't really... I haven't looked into the game much at all, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, it seems to have some interesting mechanics. I mean, I think maybe we give it a go and we'll talk, talk about, about it at a later yeah. date. Yeah. So, oh, well, you uh, you picked up some mats from Deep Cut Studio for the club. Yes, yes, we did. Um, we, we, we're moving towards playing all games on um, non-surface Boards and then yeah, sticking mats over them, yeah. yeah, and just sticking uh, neoprene mats over them because they're nicer to play on, basically. Yeah, they are. You're not going to scratch any of your models, and I mean, it initially came about because some of the historical guys that we have were having a hard time sliding their miniatures over our textured tables, and we had a couple of the old GW grass mats. Yeah, the trouble is the back of that is not very grippy. So no. they'd be sliding the miniatures on those quite well, but then they'd move the entire mat. yeah, the, the mat would slide. They also tend to uh, shed. Like the grass oh, yeah. material sort of goes everywhere. Yeah. It's so like a over not that long period of time, the grass mark will not look very nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah, th- those those are quite successful for the club. But I think that that's pretty much it for salute, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I didn't get to see that many. I, I certainly didn't stop at that many other things. No, we bri- I briefly looked in on Dark Spheres. Um, Necromunda and Star Wars Legion, I think it was. Yeah, it was just tables. opposite my stand. Yeah, yeah, because they were in a dark tent with um, lights on. Yeah, like they, they, they really went things. for the effect. Yes. 
which looked very impressive, but I would not want to play anything on that. Yeah, it's probably not practical, but obviously their intent is uh, to draw attention, uh, which is very close to their retail stand. So yes. it seems like... And, and actually, Dark Sphere, last year they did uh, a really cool X-Wing board, which was essentially like... Uh, can you remember um, in Rogue One, the fight, uh, the, the big the big battle at the end? Yeah. They sort of uh, realised something a bit like that. So you, around, you the, this... around the force field entrance, you mean? Yeah, so they, they their board was on two levels, and the bottom of it was the ground. Yeah. And they'd made that look really oh, nice. Yeah, and then they had this. a massive tower that came up the middle. And onto that tower, they'd affixed uh, an acrylic sheet, yeah. which was the right size to play the game on. Yeah. And you I played the game this. on this acrylic sheet with the, uh, that looked fantastic. So Darksphere always put. Do you always do, do, do something visually impressive? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was impressed by that last year. So um, it's cool to see they're keeping that up. So um, I think we've rambled for just over half an hour now. So we'll probably ramble on a different topic. Yeah, well, we'll pause here, a little break, and then we'll come back to talk about uh, Moonstone. Excellent. Back in a minute. Right, we're back uh, for the second half of the podcast, and we're going to talk about the game that you and a couple of guys from uh, Sun War Gamers picked up. Tell me about Moonstone. Well, so it is. I should probably start. It looks sort of dark fantasy. I think the tagline they use is dark fairy tales. Think, okay. Think labyrinth. It's pretty much yeah the the, the labyrinth or dark crystal. Yeah, um, something like that with uh, a healthy dose of humor in it, like. One of the most memorable characters is Baron Van Fancy Hat. Yeah, I mean, they basically peaked with their first miniature. Pretty much. You can't get a better name than Baron no, Van Fancy No, and then you have things like Doc the Flatulent, who, yeah. who is a goblin riding a dog, where one of his special abilities is noxious gases. He yeah. basically farts at you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing I mean, you're that, going for. I think you've pretty much encapsulated the tone of the game. Like, it's, it's sort of darkly silly. Yes, yes. It's not it's not sort of excessively silly. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like things are just random for the sake of, oh mm. look at this wacky thing. But there's definitely a ch- tone of this is not serious, although the game is not that silly. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily bright and colourful silly. No. So yeah, darkly no. silly yeah. seems seems. Darkly silly seems reasonable. But the reason I picked it up I mean, the models are, are nice. Less keen on the metal they've used, but it's not bad. Yeah, so the metal seems a little softer. Not quite as soft as the metal that you get for Eden. No. But not as uh, not as good as the metals that we get from uh, companies when they've used Griffin to do the casting. Yeah, yeah. So Steamforged use them. Um, I mean, loads of companies yeah. use Griffin in this country, but... Um, I mean, the nice mm. came together very well, I thought. Um, even the ones that are a mixture of metal and resin came together really easily. Yeah, so you've got some of the fairy models. Uh, you'll have like a resin tree stump that they're then like hanging from or yeah. perched on, but they are metal. 
Except for the the one eye, the fairy eye hat that was hanging from a tree had um, resin wings. Resin wings. We yeah. should probably just uh, tell what kind of things, you, what kind of miniatures you actually get in there. There are basically two factions. Yes. There are the Commonwealth, which is human and gnomes. Yep. Gnomes are quite tall. I would, from, yeah, from what I imagine, gnomes are. They're essentially imagine a slightly shorter human, but with a big head. Yeah, basically. And then with that dark fantasy sort of art style. Yeah. And then you have the Dominion, I think it is, uh, <clears throat> which are goblins and fairies. Yes. And fairies, you could almost swap Pixies. the... Well, I was going to say spites. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word for it. Uh, yeah, I, I think because they, they're not... They, I mean, the sort of they're a mixture of that prettiness but viciousness as well. Yes. Um, which is exactly the kind of fairy, if I was going to have one in a game, yeah. is what I'd go for. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the the box of fairies I saw was one of the main reasons why I went, like, I need the demo of this because they look really cool. Yeah, and it's something which I, I think it's an aesthetic that we haven't seen very too much. much of. Yeah, yeah. Humans are humans. You know, yeah. Whatever. They are um, a sort of imperial German. The, the gnomes are a little bit more militia-like. Yes. So they're not quite as, as fancy as the humans. And the goblins are varied. Really varied, actually, because you've got the vicious midget. Yes, uh, who's in full plate mail. Absolutely tiny goblin. But then, like you say, Doug the Flatulent, who's riding a pug. Yeah. He's like got a pretty big head, almost like a classic goblin look. Yeah. And you've got Beaky yeah. Bobby, who is uh, a goblin plague doctor, basically. Yeah, he's wearing that plague doctor sort of mask. gas mask. Yes, yes, he is. Thing. So... Quite varied. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose before we get too much further in, it's worth saying that it's essentially it's a skirmish game. It, it, you're talking yes. about anything between three and six models. And actually yes. the number of models depends on the number of players, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so there, there will effectively be 12 models on the board, yeah. no matter the amount of players. And it scales from two to three to four players. Yeah. And then the number you get will, yeah. will vary, vary based on that. Well, we should... Probably, I mean, the reason I picked it up was mostly for the mechanics. Yeah, so it seems like it's largely a diceless game. Yes, you use um, you use dice to determine initiative order in a turn, and then you're done with dice. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is the the titular moonstones um, are Divorce. at least in the standard game. They're the objectives. Yes, and yeah, they're d fours, and at the beginning of a game. You get seven D4 together in your hands, hold that over the centre of the board, and let them go. Where they land, that's where the objectives are. So I guess, I mean, even that shows that it's not designed really to be a highly competitive or like tournament suitable game. No, because just just the very nature of generating the objectives can yeah. skew the game very heavily. Absolutely. In fact, um, we've, we've played a couple of games, and in our second one, we re uh, we redid the we draw because, because it was just it, a bit daft. Yeah, but we'll get into thoughts around that in a minute. Yeah, we'll just quickly the the mechanics yeah. so because you don't use dice. It is based on cards, hmm. and there are basically two different decks of cards. There is a deck of arcane cards, mm -hmm. which have three different colors with numbers between one and three. Yeah, and then catastrophe cards, which is when bad stuff happens. And there's and four. Of them? There's three of them. Oh, there's one. Of them. There, okay. There's one for. There's a catastrophe card for each color, oh, yeah, and each color have three ones, two twos, and a three. Yes. Um, and then you have the melee deck, mm -hmm. which is effectively a set of maneuvers you do, 
And I think there are three attacks, three defenses, and a neutral. Okay. I think that's how they describe it. Okay. So you basically have a low attack, a medium attack, and a high attack. And a low defense, medium defense, and high defense. I think... I seem to remember low guard, high guard. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe I've added a defense that's not in there. Yeah, I think you might have done, because then you've got um, high... Oh, no, you've got... Oh, wait, okay. Rising attack. Yeah. Falling attack. Yeah. Sweeping attack. Yeah. Which is your horizontal attack. Yes. And then you've got thrust. Yes, which is the the neutral. It's sort of a mix between them. Yes, and it's it's interesting. Obviously, a high guard will stop a falling swing, and a low guard will stop a rising swing. But then you get into interesting things where a thrust. Yeah, you you, will... you basically have a matrix. Yes. You, so you you each draw a hand based on your melee stat. Yeah. And various modifiers, like you get extra cards if you're the attacking player, and so on. Um, but then you each play a card. From your hand, and then there's a matrix on the cards that show, oh, you played rising attack, and he played a rising attack as well, or a thrust, or yeah. low guard, or whatever. And it'll then tell you, how much damage do you do, how much damage do your opponent do? Yeah, and it seems that with, if you use a thrust, then it, it's, it's like it'll strike before the rising attack or the falling attack. I mean, there isn't an order of hits, but it, it will do three damage, and they will do, like, one or maybe yeah. zero damage. Yes. And it's worth noting that there is a difference between causing zero damage and not causing damage, because a lot of models will say... Oh, have, have modified to the damage. Yeah, like... so plus one damage if you cause piercing damage. Yes. And a thrust does piercing. Yes. So yeah, there is, there's three types of damage, which will then be associated with different attacks. Yeah, yeah. Which also, you have a, a gradient where arm, some armor will protect against all melee damage, some will protect against specific types of melee damage mm. or so on, and modifiers based on that. So, I mean, this mechanic sounds like it could be quite random, and I think the way that they get around, or uh, the way they try and make it feel less random, is every model has a signature move. So if you play with Doug the Flatulent, yeah. if you play a rising attack with yeah. him, you can convert it once it's been revealed into oh, ankle biter, ankle biter, uh, which is actually in effect. It's instead of Doug attacking with his lance, it's the pug biting the ankles yes. of the opponent. And sometimes these signature moves will make a, a move more powerful, but other times they'll actually sort of flip it on its head. And they're not necessarily the attacks. Like a lot, most of the fairies, they have special defenses, which yeah. Because the special defense, like most of the defense cards, will stop most attacks, but they'll let some through. Yeah. Whereas some of the fairies have, for instance, you can't hit me, mm -hmm. which just cancels all damage from that entire melee exchange and is infuriating. So it's a really interesting combat mechanic. It it, it can be a little time consuming, I guess, if you're doing multiple attacks, because you yes. always have to reshuffle the whole deck every time. Yes, yes, you can't um, keep using it. Also yeah, you can't because... just pick up a bunch of dice and throw them. It's actually yeah. a little bit of a process. Um... It can also, it, it suffers, may, maybe suffers, I'm not sure that's the right word, but you can have quite a lot of attacks where not very much happens, and then you can have yeah. some breakthrough attacks, because you also have, if you have multiple, there is three of each card, and if you have multiples of an attack card, you play it, and then you put down the extras you have, and that'll act as a multiplier on the damage? Yes, yeah, so the number of duplicates is essentially, it multiplies the yeah. damage. So if you have a, a thrust and you it, it will do three damage, if yeah. you have another two 
two thrust cards, you do nine. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe that makes it a little too swingy. If it were just plus one, maybe. But but doubling uh, or uh, and then potentially tripling just I mean uh, when you're on the receiving end of that feels a bit mean. Yeah, it's like oh I went into this combat and I was fine, and one combat exchange later and you one shot of my model. Yeah, I mean there is a fair amount of healing in the game, so yeah. You, but it then obviously means your next activation is all around making sure that last model or that wounded model stays alive. I wonder if because of the the healing. Uh, that maybe is why damage can scale quite high, because it's not very hard to generate healing. Yeah, and models, I mean, models have, oh, I don't know how many wounds, sort of 8 to 10 on average, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it scales between 5 and 14. Yeah, and I suppose this is a good point to talk about the wound track. You'll have a bunch of little circles where you would mark your wounds, and some of them will be blue. And at the beginning of each turn, you generate... So we had to pause for a second there because we've got a phone call uh, swiftly followed by a hailstorm, which I hope has stopped. So to continue where we left off, uh, you generate an amount of energy equal to these blue dots on yes. your wound mark, on your wound track that haven't been marked yet. So it means as you get wounded, you uh, you can you can spend you can spend the energy you have on on the character on actions things like attacking or. Powering your abilities, yeah, or like a one-inch step. Yes, but as you get more and more wounded, you, you generate less energy. So as the game goes on, you will generally be able to do less and less things, which is why there is a fair amount of healing in the game because you might get to a point where yeah. the character is not dead, but effectively useless. So yeah. you you need the healing, and it seems to be an interesting. Um, way to vary between the factions because if you look at humans the blue dots tend to be scattered about fairly sort of evenly throughout their wound track you look at the gnomes and their wounds are almost all right at the last few wounds yes you then look at fairies and there's one who only has she she has friar the fairy wizard have five wounds but they're all blue so she has Five energy. So she can do a lot, but she'll die quite quickly. And and, and her efficiency will drop. Yeah. As soon as you do anything to her, she becomes borderline useless. Hmm. She really has to be careful. Yeah, I thought that and was really she's also useless in melee anyway. So you're going to want to keep her behind yeah. your front line and either do healing or sapping people, hmm. basically. Um, and Because you mentioned um, energy uh, you used to make actions one of those actions is of course dig up the moonstones yes and this is important to mention because the d4 whatever number it lands on that is how deeply buried that moonstone is and therefore how many actions it takes to yeah, it, unbury it if you're in base contact with the d4 yeah. which is slightly odd because it's a d4 and it's a triangle and you're using another reason why it's not a tournament game yes. but sure um you you then spend one energy to do a harvest action and that will basically change the number of the, on the d4 down one, yeah. and if it's on one, you then get the moonstone. Yeah, so so if you would reduce it to zero, yes, you, you get you up. get the moonstone, and that'll then uh, make you slow. Yeah, half your movement. Yeah. So your your future movement will be slower, and everyone moves four anyway. So it's it's already yeah it sounds like it's slow. Yes, we'll come to that one in a second. Yeah. Um, and basically, at the end of the game, it's a four turn game. Yep. Uh, whoever has the most moonstones win the game. Yeah. And I think there are a couple of other missions, but this is the only one we've played so far. Yes, we've, we've played two proper games. Yeah. And uh, so... Oh, go on. Yes, I was, I was just going to say about the... It sounds like it's really slow. You played on a 3x3 three three board. Yeah. 
So four inches movement plus maybe spending energy on a couple of inches would not be very impressive. But you have a deployment zone of 10 inches. Yeah, which is a lot. So you actually only start potentially 16 inches away from each other. Yeah. Um, so I would have thought initially, I thought, why not just play it on a two-by-two two board and have either no deployment <coughs> zone or a much smaller deployment zone. But because you drop the moonstones down on the table from a height... Yeah. This can potentially scatter quite far, and I imagine that is why you want a 3x3 three three board. Yeah. Because on a 2x2, two two, some of them might just go over the board, and that creates problems. Yeah. I mean, it does create a situation where you might... Be Have moonstones to... in your deployment zones. Yeah. If you can deploy next to, like, two moonstones, which are both on a one... Which, which was why we reset the game we played last night, because... Yeah. That was the case. In, I think with like one of three of them zone. were in your deployment zone. Two of them were ones, and one of them was like a two. Yes, yeah, something like so. that. So I could pick up half of them in turn one, basically, which would yeah. be a problem. It's worth pointing out it's an alternate activation system. Oh, yeah. So it, it, you, know, you do one model, I do another model. You can't go back to a model. No. Uh, you can leave energy on a model, which can then do a react, which is essentially a one-inch movement after yes. your opponent has done something. You can also spend energy to buy two extra cards in a melee exchange. Yeah, which can be really worthwhile. Um, Especially if, if something nasty for support characters who might only have two cards. Yeah. I mean, equally, it makes things like the Vicious Midget even more scary, but we'll talk about how scary he can get in, in, uh, in a second. In, in a bit. Yes. Um, the other mechanic, because we've only talked about the, uh, the combat mechanic so far, yeah. the other mechanic is the Arcane deck, which is used for all your spells. Um, there are a couple of things which just happen automatically when yeah, you, 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 when you, you spend you essentially have passive them. abilities active abilities active abilities are just pay X amount of energy to do this yes but then um, arcane abilities arcane abilities usually they're ranged spells but there's a couple of models um, who we, just have a ranged attack yes so guns or crossbows or something also also use your arcane, arcane. Stat, which is I thought was a bit odd but I mean sure it works and that's probably um, all that really matters it's just it's a streamlined thing yeah, you don't want. You obviously didn't want to create an additional system for the range abilities that are not magic. Which yeah, I mean, makes there's, sense. there's only four stats in it. There's uh, your melee um, stat, stat, your melee range. Yeah. Then there's your arcane stat and your evade, and your evade modifies people oh. who are attacking you's arcane yes. stat. So the way arcane works is you declare that you're going to do something. You draw a number of cards equal to your arcane stat, modified by your target's evade stat. If you're targeting an enemy. If you're targeting an enemy, otherwise, yeah, just draw draw straight up. Then your opponent always draws six cards. Yes. Um, whether they are the target of this arcane ability or not. Yes. And then you uh, you look through your cards, and you'll usually be looking for e a specific colour. Yeah, I was going to each ability have will have listed, you need a red most of them say X, so it can be whatever number it is, but they'll then vary the effect. Mm. Like, um, a lot of the ranged spells will be like, oh, red X, yeah. but you do then X damage. So or, if... or X times two in the case of the crossbowman. Yes. But some of the spells will be, you just need a two of any colour. Yes. Um, so there's, there's some interesting things they're doing there with like cutting down the odds uh, of various yes. things. It actually allows them to attack the odds problem from multiple angles. Whereas with dice, you essentially go, well, it's either 
based on the number of sides of the die or is based on the bell curve from two dice. Yes. Or, or Guild Ball, how many dice you're rolling or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that is... Um, but it actually, it, it breaks that whole thing open where they can attack it from multiple angles, which I quite like. So you select your card, you place it face down, and then you say what it is. Yeah, simple. You can be bullshitting, it's fine, you can bluff. Your opponent can then look at you and decide whether you're bluffing or not. Yeah, you either accept the card or you say you think your opponent is bluffing. Yeah, and if you accept the card, you don't get to see it. The, and and the, the, ability, ability, the ability just triggers based on whatever card you said it was. Yeah. If you call your your uh, attacker or your opposition's uh, bluff, then they reveal the card, and if it was what they said it was, they get to do the ability and then get to play another card... From their hand. From the to, same hand. To effectively trigger the ability again. Yes, which can get pretty savage. Yes. Uh, which is fine. Um, it adds some stakes to the bluffing. Yeah. Uh, if you are correct that they were bluffing, you can then swap in any card from your card, your hand of six to replace their card that they played. Uh, Which sometimes, is where primarily catastrophe cards Yeah, so, so you might just go, well, okay, they've played a red three because they needed red to do damage. Well, I'm going to swap. I've only got reds. So I'll swap a red one in, so at least I'm getting less damage. But most likely you'll stick a blue or a green in there. And, and go like, well, the ability now does nothing. Yeah, there are some, of course, where... The ability does multiple things. It'll do on on green. It'll give y- your model energy, and on mm. a red, it'll uh, deal damage to that yeah. model. So if I target you with one of those abilities, and I put red in, mm. but I I lie, yeah. I bluff. You can then swap it in for something which might give you energy or yeah. heal you. Yeah. But what you'll mostly do is if you've got a catastrophe card in your hand, you'll swap that in, and that'll each, that'll, that'll each, do. Each so- ar- yeah, each arcane ability have a. On a catastrophe, this happened. Generally, it'll be suffer two or three wounds. Yeah. Some of them blow up, yeah, and you and do damage in an area. Yeah, there's a movement. So the movement uh, arcane abilities seem to often have the catastrophe, which is you can't move again this whole turn, which is a quarter of the game. Yeah. So like, or like the vicious midget have an arcane ability where he teleports into base contact with the model. Yeah. If on a catastrophe, your opponent gets to place him within six inches. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that's a whole turn, turn's worth of movement. Yeah, that's potentially pretty devastating. So this, I mean, it's an interesting bluffing mechanic, and it's it's a fairly basic one, um, and it needs to be, uh, but it works really well. Um, so both mechanics are interesting. Yes, there's a degree of bluffing with both of them. Most of it's on the arcane, yeah. but um, and, yeah, and I think crucially, the actually quite the mechanics themselves are fairly fun to use. Yes. I mean, that, that is where the draw of the game to me is, is that the mechanics are genuinely fun to employ in the game. Well, it's quite funny when you you know, you know go for um, a thrust, and you're like, mm. oh, I'm definitely going to get him with this thrust, because his signature move is you know a, a falling attack. Yeah. Uh, and then your opponent's actually played sweeping attack, which sweeping basically parries the thrust out and, of the way, and then, get, and then they can counter-attack. Which means play another card from their hand. And, 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 but and you was, keep your thrust, so you, you yeah. know what you've played, and that can go horrifically wrong if, yeah. if you get unlucky. So I think that, that, that's really good fun. Um, so we have played two games. Yeah. And uh, the first game was just you and I. Which um, was just, let's try out the mechanics in yeah. a proper scale game. And you took a mixture of uh, fairies and goblins, goblins um, six models. And I took uh, all humans, yes. six models again. Uh, worth pointing out, if it's not obvious at this point, there's no points 
you just take a number of models. Yeah. A system which seems to be getting more and more popular these days. It's it's because it's simple. Yeah. It's it's really easy to, to start a game that way, and I quite like that. I like it, yeah. I, I imagine for things like Guild Ball, which are tournament-oriented, it's a nightmare to balance. Uh, but for this... Potentially, yes. Yeah, for, th- for this, I think, it, I think it's fine. Um, so I had some obvious synergies where I had a, a squire who could boost up any soldiers or nobles that I had in my list, and um, he, he proved really effective. Yeah, he basically hung around in the middle of your warband making half of your other models much better. Yeah, I mean, he has a passive ability which allows one of them to get a bonus for their first melee attack. Uh, he can hand out bonuses, or I think it's energy that he hands out, but he's also a healer. So he's an absolute utility um, support character. Which meant that by turn two, it was fairly obvious to me that if I were to, to have any chance, I needed to target him. Yeah. And I mean... Or, or spread the <clears throat> models out, so it would... Force me to spread out, yeah. yeah. And I think... Actually, when we mention how slow you can move, I think it is difficult to force someone to move up around a bit because once you've picked up a moonstone, you're only moving two inches, so you can't yes. really you can't really react to other things going on very well without spending a lot of energy to move. Yes. And then, of course, you're not going to do anything by the time you've. Yeah, moved. That, that's that's the trade-off. You can actually be quite fast. Yeah, but you then might not be able to do very much when you get there. So you yeah. need to pace yourself a little bit. It definitely works really well as a mechanic where you, if you surge forward and pick up a moonstone, that's just fine. But now be, you're... Be aware that you're vulnerable. You're unsupported and you can only move two inches. You can't run away because everyone's twice the speed yeah, of you. Yeah, people will catch you. Yeah. I, I do wonder whether it would be better if it were minus one movement per moonstone. Um... But some models already are two movement anyway, and then they... Yeah, I mean... It's making it just a limit to two does make al- sense. Also, but. I'm not sure that the gain in granularity is worth the hassle. No, no, I think it's just where I go is granularity, and I have to fight that all the time. Well, it's, myself it's, back it's, it's it. always fun to, to go like, oh, it needs this little detail in oh, this yeah. corner. Um, but that does not necessarily make for a better and game. And the thing, I think the strength of this game is actually that it's pretty simple. Like, we've, we've described... Almost all of the rules in yes. a really rambling way, but yes, but it, that's it would, it would probably take is. a couple of listens to actually be able to play the game based on how we described it. But you could, <laughs> oh well, maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll listen back and we'll find out. But um, yeah, I, uh, so I enjoyed our two-player game. It, it's, it's worth saying that I probably enjoyed it um, partially because um, I absolutely trounced you. You devastated my fairies. Yeah, turns out the need finesse. Yes. Yeah, so this this was something that struck me is that the humans are very straightforward. Uh, all their synergies are very obvious. The tactics are pretty obvious with them. Walk forward and punch people in the face yeah, really hard. And, I mean, or shoot it, people. It's the human sort of trope in war games, isn't it? Where they, they're the jack of all trades um, and they're fairly reliable. Yeah. They don't necessarily excel at any one thing. No, but they're that's not, fine. They're not, they don't, certainly don't touch the extremes of some of the other models. Yeah. But they're generally just very solid. Now, the fairies are basically the other end of the spectrum. They are a giant box of tricks. Yes, they get they get a bunch of energy. Um, they Funky often, abilities. Yep, they will need that energy. They're not very good at um, uh, necessarily hitting people. No, they pretty much all this. I think there's six different fairies, and all but one of them have at least a minus one to damage in melee. Yeah, so you can do damage, but you're not very good at it. Yeah, you have to set up those combos. Yes, um, and you're a bit more of a. I wouldn't go as far to say glass hammer because you're not hammering that hard but 
you're definitely made of glass. Like yes. we, we talked about um Fryer. Fryer. To who has just five wounds and each one of those is reducing her effectiveness. Yes. And she's not got armour or anything. No. Um No, no, she's But that that's why their signature move of oh look, you just can't hit me yeah. at all is, um, is incredible. Fairly uh, and quite important to them. Well yeah, that that exactly. They rely on it very much. So yeah, I I enjoyed it. I'm trying to think anything else sort of stuck out in that game. Um I mean the only thing was that if you if you very quickly get lose a couple of models and get outnumbered, it can potentially be a bit tricky to get back, but you don't have to fight your opponent to win the game. Yes. So that that's quite important. Yeah, I mean if someone picks up a moonstone, you've got to kill them to get the moonstone off them. There are yes, unless you happen to have brought a model that have an ability that can remove it. Yes. There are several, not oh, many, oh, but oh. there's a couple of models that can go like, oh, you've got butterfingers, you drop the moonstone. Oh, okay. Because I mean, I haven't spent obviously not owning any of them. I haven't spent any time really with the cars. No. I've downloaded the PDFs, which yes. are available online for free, uh, as uh, as is the rulebook. I think you have to yes. sign up for something, but you no, you, no, you, you can just go to just direct download Moonstone the game. I think, and the rulebook is there. Stat cards for every release models and paper paper standings. Yeah, I did. I did do that, and I downloaded all the cards. But when I went to download the rulebook, it took me through to like oh, a yeah. checkout. No, you're right. It does take you to drive through RPG. I think it is. Yeah, and I mean that's, that's it's free. Yeah, it, but, it, but you have it's, to it's perfectly reasonable. That. It's so that they can get your contact details, which is absolutely fine. There's nothing, you know, it's, it's, nefarious it's, it's not about particularly that. dodgy. No, no. Um, it's perfectly reasonable. They're giving you a game for free, and you've got the standees as well, so you can literally play the game you, you, for free. You would never have to buy anything if you wanted yeah. to, um, but you would because the model's beautiful. So, the second game we played was a four-player game, which was the one I was more interested in because the rulebook is very specific that it works for two, three, or four-player <clears throat> games. Yeah, and in my experience, most miniature games does not work very well with more than two players. Yeah, I, I mean, they tend to slow down, don't they, and um, grind a little bit, and or, then also there tends to be mechanical issues because they have not been designed that way. Time, so, timing so issues and stuff. They're like, yeah. oh, you totally can play this way, but mechanically, it probably won't work as yeah. well. We did stumble upon a, a timing issue, uh, but I don't think that was caused by it being four player. I think that was just the way certain things were written because after a combat. Certain signature moves give uh, an end phase ability. Yes. And, and it doesn't specify which one happens first, and both of them were moving your model. Yes. So and, I, or at least we didn't find a place where it specified. It might sure, be. Sure, yeah. Book, but. We may have failed to read it. But uh, in the end, we just, it not being a tournament game, we let's, just, let's dice off. Dice off, fine. and that was fine. It, it may be that actually the rule is whoever's turn it is uh, gets to first decide. Or, first or second, or gets to decide. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what it is, but we couldn't find it, and we did not want to slow up. No, the game. It, I mean, it wasn't a hugely critical thing anyway. No. Uh, but so we played four players, uh, three models each. So you always play with 12 models on the board, it seems. And uh, it plays largely like the single player game, really. Uh, you go around clockwise. Um, yeah, you, you, you roll, each each player will roll a d6 at the beginning of the turn for initiative, and whoever wins initiative is the first player, and then the player to his left goes after him, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so um, the necessary modification being uh, arcane abilities. If you're not targeting an, uh, any of your other opponents, you're just doing something uh, on a, yourself. A spell, for instance. The player to your left will be your sort of pseudo the res opponent. Res resisting player who gets six yeah. cards and gets to decide if you're bluffing or not. 
which has interesting ramifications as we found out. Yeah, this this actually is a sort of a little emergent gameplay effect where I wanted to do an ability which was going to give me loads of energy yes. to um, to carry on acting with one of my models. I was to the left of you, so I was the resisting player. Yeah, but obviously the models, where my model was, was nowhere near yours. So, but but near the, one of the other. Yeah. Players. So the thing that I was going to be threatening with all that extra energy was one of the other players. So for you, you just you just kept going. I uh, well, I think you're bluffing. Oh, well, you're not bluffing. We guess you oh, do it okay. again. Do it again. I Get more bluffing. energy. So I ended up with uh, on a model which started with three energy. I ended up with five additional energy. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I didn't make particularly good use of it in the end. No. But it, it it created this interesting situation where you were able to screw over one of the other players. Yes. In effect, yeah, which I really liked. That, yeah. that was fun. It was like if if I can catch you up bluffing because I had a catastrophe card in my hand. So if he had been bluffing, I could do a bunch of damage to him. Yeah, but equally, if he wasn't bluffing and got it through, the negative effect would not be felt by me. Yeah. So I had no in. Uh, my incentives were different than they would have been in a two player game, mm. which was quite interesting and it's worth bearing in mind because it means you can maybe get off abilities or do different things. Mm. That would have been harder in a two-player game, which makes the four-player game quite an interesting proposition because the dynamics yeah. are different. I definitely found with four players and only having three models... Um, that was the roughest part. Yeah, because you, you lack redundancy. So you lose a model and um, shit, that's a third shit of, that, gets real. That's like, a third of your force just gone and you will have severely reduced efficiency on the board. Yeah, so I think the the makeup of your team uh, of three models is is far more finely balanced than at six. You you've got to have someone who's putting out some damage. Yes. You've probably got to have someone who can who can make a sudden rush for a moonstone. Probably. Yeah, which um, would or probably... someone who can threaten at range. Yeah. And then you've got to have a healer. Yes, it'll be it'll be in a three three model game it'll be very hard to play without a healer, I think. Yeah. In a six model game you Probably don't, but you will probably have one because most of them also bring other good utility abilities. So this is the problem that I had. I, I was playing with um, with three gnomes mm. and the support character that I took, my healer, she just did healing. Uh, once per turn, she, once per game, sorry, she could give um, one extra energy to all friendly gnomes within a certain distance. Yes, but only having two other gnomes, it's yeah. uh, not as good as it would be in a bigger game. Yes, um, and her healing abilities are good. But when I found myself in a situation where one model was dead, the other model was on full health, she had nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, and she, she she's starts, only movement two yeah, anyway. she starts slow, so she's not actually very good at getting moonstones either. And she's terrible in melee. So I think she would work great in a six-model game. Yes. But with three models, um, I think there probably would have been better support choices. Um, yeah, whereas my team... I picked the, the support model. I picked was Friar, the, the fairy wizard. Yeah, and she has she does healing as well, but she also has ranged damage spells. Yeah, so she was basically hanging out behind my other models and sapping stuff when she didn't need to heal. Yeah. Um. So, I think the vicious midget and the giant. We should just touch yes, on that. We should talk about that. So the vicious that, midget, that was my other two models. Yeah. So the vicious midget and the giant are drinking buddies in the background, and this means, well, actually, it, what it means is the, the goblin has abilities that affect giants, and he is affected by giants. So he can move the giant. Yes, he has. He has a giant whisperer. Yeah, which actually is fantastic, being able to move one of your models out of its turn, so that when you then activate them next turn, they're in a 
a preferable yes. situation. That's really good. Also worth pointing out that it is just target giant. The giant is mercenary. He can work for everyone. Yes, so you could affect someone else's giant. Yes, you can. Um, which I like. That's cool. Um, but the thing which really became a bit of a problem, and we did kill your vicious midget, but it took all three of us ganging up on you. Yeah, basically. The game turned out in a way where I picked up... I would effectively have control of three moonstones out of seven in a four-player game. So everyone ganged up and just went for me because otherwise I was just going to win. Yeah, it's a bit like when you're playing a game of Munchkin. You, you've got to bash the leader and the person yeah. who comes second is probably going to win it. Yeah. And, I mean, that Which is was what the, happened. What happened, yeah. Uh, but the Vicious Midget um, has a melee of five anyway. Now, four is probably your standard fighter. Yeah. Um, so five is, is already it's a little nicer. When you're the attacker... You get an extra two. So when he was attacking, he was getting seven cards against opponents who were probably getting anything between three and four most of the yeah. time in defense. Yeah. Um, but then he's got an ability where uh, it's called, was it Lard Lover? Lard Lover. So he's um, he's within, uh, is it four inches of a giant? Within four inches of a giant. He Not gets a friendly an, giant. Not a, just a giant. giant. He gets another plus two to melee. So he's running around attacking people with nine cards. Yeah. And you could, you didn't, because it would be overkill, but you could have also spent one of his energy... To, when get, to get 11 cards. To get 11 cards. Which is about half the deck. Which, personally, I think at that point is broken. Um, it's also unnecessary. Well, that, that's, that's kind of my point. That it, it will be diminishing returns for you, uh, but you can absolutely ensure something at that point. And yeah. It is a game which does have synergies and combos which are important. I mentioned in the first game that I had the Squire. Yeah. And he, certainly there's ways where I could take the Squire, and he buffs soldiers and nobles. Well, I take the human noble, I take Baron the gnome Fancy noble. Had. Yes. Take the, the gnome noble, but then I also can take a human soldier and a gnome soldier and really sort of maximise his efficiency. Yes. Um, but that's, you know, I've, already, I've mentioned five models there. Yeah. Um, and then Did, you take another model, which might be you know just a support model or a healer, someone handing out energy. But to me, when you've got just this combination of two models, yeah, it gets a little bit risky in terms of the that, fun that, of your other players. Yes, because I can have another four models that do something completely different, and the giant is the tankiest model in the game. Yes, and the vicious midget is quite tanky himself. Yes. Very few hit points. He only has five. Yeah, because he's got the full plate But he has full plate armor, so he reduces all non-magical damage by two. Yeah, which is amazing. Yes, considering damage only goes from one to three. Yes. I mean, yes, unless you have have bonuses. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I I think that combo got a little bit nasty. Again, this is probably just because it's at three models. If it had been at six models, actually... I, I could bring the force of multiple models to bear on him, like yeah. really target him with several of them, and maybe it would be okay. Yeah. But the trouble is, you in Malie were defending with seven cards yeah. before you boosted. Yeah. Seven cards is more than most other models Model attack. attack with. Yes. Um, so it, it allowed you to see what other people weren't able to play. Yeah. And because of his played armour, you can actually yeah. you can actually reasonably well... At- play attack cards even when you are the defensive player. Yeah. Because I probably have the most cards. I don't take that much damage. I might just go forward and try and wound you. Yeah. But equally, you can almost guarantee you're going to get a suitable defense card. Yes. So I can just go... Uh, he, so he can be quite tanky. Yeah. Um, the way the, the way you guys got around it in the game was to hit him with arcane attacks. Yeah, hit him at range. I mean, and or, that's or, or magic close combat attacks, which was what he died yes. to. Because his played armor is non-magical damage, and he got stabbed to death by a fairy with enchanted daggers. Mm. 
So it's worth mentioning that whilst the sort of three models thing seems like a bit of a um, a, a problem because you, you, you're you have less redundancy, you probably need to be making alliances with other players. Yes. Uh, there's no formalized mechanics for alliances, which is is probably fine. I just find alliances can be a bit odd when there aren't fi- uh, formalized mechanics if, for it. If there's no way to win together, it can be a little bit weird. And there's equally there's no way to there's no built-in way to punish someone for breaking an alliance. No. Now, of course, you can say, "Oh, well, they broke the alliance, so you can now like everything's fair game. You can yeah. go after them." But, but if you, you were relying time. on them to sort of equal the playing field, yeah. level the playing field in a situation... Um, you might stitch you up. They can stitch you up. And some people might say, oh, it's all part of the fun. And I think it can be... If you have the right group of players, and yeah. probably if you have a group of players that play together frequently, that'll be more fun. Which we did have. And, yes. And I, th- I think actually the alliance thing could probably become more fun when you're a couple of beers in, but... Uh, which I think the, this game is actually quite well suited. Yeah, th- I mean, like we've said, it's definitely not a tournament game, and it excels because of that. Yes, it's, yes, I think it's that, fun. That's actually a strength for the game. I yeah. think. Yeah, and I mean, not everything can be a tournament game, and not everything should be a tournament game. No, because then you run into very similar style of games all the time. Yeah, and there's only so many weekends in the year. Yeah, <laughs> if you're going to start walking around the country playing different events, um, and. You know, also, you don't always want to be super stressed about making the optimal decisions, no. um, you know, making your machine work. So uh, I think when it goes on general sale, I will pick up a few models. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love a bit of painting, so um, they are really well suited to that. I actually wish I'd gotten on the Kickstarter to get some of the resins, but uh, a bit late for that. A little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, get a few because it'll be a nice thing to uh, to play when we can. I mean... It, it going on general release does coincide with the expected birth of my first child, so we'll see how that goes. Mm, that might reduce <laughs> your game time a little bit. Yeah, might reduce my painting time, my my brain capacity, and everything. But we'll see. Yes, uh, maybe I need a light game because of that. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, um, I just wonder if there's any like, final thoughts because we're sort of we're on forty minutes, so we should probably wrap up. The only other thought was we talked a bit about. Color and color blindness. In the game. So accessibility. Yes. Yeah. So, well, there's there's two things to this. So for arcane, the colors are blue, red, and green. Yeah. But the red cards are actually purple or pink. Yes. It's sort of hard to tell. The it's more purple on the cards themselves, but more pink when it's shown as a symbol on a card. Yes. Which once you know, it's not a problem. But it it just creates a little bit of a weird mismatch between the cards you get. And the stat cards. Yeah, for me, it's not a functional problem. It's just it's just an area of polish. Yes. Yeah. In a in a generally very well polished game. Yes. It, this, it just was a sort of. This like, is this is a little bit yeah. nitpicky. Yeah. But but I think okay. where it really um, comes out is that any time that you use colours, you're at risk of screwing up people who are colourblind. Yes. And the choices of red, green, and blue. Are just about the don't see more worst ones. Because yeah. so I think the the two most common uh, forms of color blindness would be uh, Impact, impacted by the, by the three colors you've chosen. Yes, and there's no other way. There's no there's no not different symbols or anything associated with the colors. It's all color based. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of games where they have colors, they'll also have a different border. Yeah, or different symbols like yeah, 
pentagons or triangles. Or and, and when whatever. you're dealing with just uh, with just four, you could have different symbols quite easily. Yeah. And borders, of course, would work well, but not on the icons themselves. So that's something and something we'd like to talk about in the future as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think we should probably wrap up. Yeah. We, uh, overall, we enjoyed it. It's worth picking up. I yeah. Think. Uh, it's it's a good like fun game to play. Yeah. So um, thank you for listening to yeah. us. Yeah. And we will hopefully be back in a couple of weeks. Whether this becomes one episode or two, I don't know. But uh, we'll find out. Yeah. Talk to you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.